0: This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 170. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton.
1: And I'm Lum Ramiyasha, And today we are going to go for it because we are going to do a podcast on Sunday's throwback. B.L. Romcom, go for it, Nakamura. With a great guest, the prolific writer. You've seen their work on Anime Herald, Anime News Network, Anime Feminist. We have Anthony Gramulia on the show to talk about Gopher Nakamura and what makes it just such a special, really nice kind of queer romcom in a the vein of classic anime romcoms. Giving us like representation and like just a fluffy queer story that we don't often see. And we certainly didn't see in media that Nakamura emulates and calls back to. And it's such a lovely conversation on the series and what makes it so special and resonant for us as queer readers. And yeah, it's just so, so nice. And it was great to have Anthony on the show. Like really awesome conversation. and. Like,
0: yeah, it was just a real fun one to do. Yeah, it was fun. Admittedly, I thought that our discussion was going to be a little shorter just because, uh, you know, Go For It, Nakamura is very fun, but I I didn't know, like, how long we were going to talk about it for. But uh, Anthony really surprised me in particular with, like, how much they really brought to the table in terms of, like, what to talk about and everything, so... I, I thought that was a pleasant surprise.
1: Yes, Anthony, and I definitely had a lot to say about kind of deeper themes and subtext in the series and how it resonated with us. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: like Antony, like wrote a really great piece that is one of our community shoutouts for this episode on Nakamura. That's why I wanted to have him on. But, yeah, like it was we had a great conversation in the series. Even though it is like a fluffy rom there is a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like, different aspects of Nakamura. The characters, some of the motifs used and, like, what it really represents in terms of its storytelling.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Before we even get onto that though, Lum, uh we we were both on a podcast that I think maybe we should talk about real quick.
1: Yes, we were both invited onto FMA Analysts to talk about episode fifty two of Phil Melaca's Brotherhood. It was a really fun conversation on the episode like what works about brotherhood in terms of like what makes certain moments feel cool but also what maybe doesn't work as well and when you kind of peel back the writing and notice well do some of these ideas or games coalesce or hold up so it was a good conversation on different things and we just had fun riffing on different things sharing stories of like how we got into anime and early experience trying to get other people in the anime like doing presentations in class and stuff so you know <laughs> it was a fun conversation if you listen to the like episode released in their public feed like it was like cut down quite a bit it's about a 20 minute episode edit and then like uh the full recording though we had with them was about like an hour ish long so you can see more of the our like uncut talks on the episode and more of our conversation on their patreon release of the episode.
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was really fun. I'm really glad they invited us on. I think I specifically, like, picked episode 52 because of a certain moment in there that, uh, I really wanted to talk about with Alphonse. And, uh, you know what? I, I didn't, so I, I admittedly haven't listened to a lot of full Metal Analysts, so I didn't know that, like, I didn't know they released like super cuts of their episodes and had the full cut on their Patreon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I was genuinely wondering, like, man, <laughs> how are they going to edit around all of our long winded discussions? Because you know what, admittedly, as much as I love doing manga Mavericks, I will admit as someone who edits a lot of it, it is really hard to try to like, condense this podcast sometimes, you know, so like, I really have to like, I really have to give it to them. I, th- I think they did a good job picking out, like, at least uh, what I think were, like, some of the best moments in our discussion and, like, highlighting those personally, so.
1: Yeah, it was very smooth. You wouldn't tell necessarily what all was cut out, but there's definitely a lot more that was said, so check out their Patreon for more of an uncut version.
0: Mm-hmm, but uh, we'll definitely leave a link to that in the show notes for anybody who uh, who wants to listen. I definitely need to uh, listen to more of their podcasts, because from the from the very little I have listened to, like I do think they're a great show. I mean, look, there, right now there is an abundance of like Full Metal Alchemist podcasts out there, and it's genuinely like really hard to like choose which ones to listen to first, anyway. But like, I, I definitely think, I definitely think their show is like worth looking into, and I know that like eventually when I do like a rewatch of Brotherhood, I am going to start listening to their show. So.
1: Absolutely, I've been following them for a long time, so I was really excited when they invited us onto the show. And they're definitely like one of the funniest podcasts on FMA, and also like just one of the most insightful. They have really good conversations on like what works about the show from a writing perspective and sometimes what doesn't work, because they are the main hosts are all like writers in the entertainment industry. So they can mm-hmm. come to the show from that perspective. And they have a lot of cool guests on from not only you know, the anime manga community, but also like in general the television world. And they bring interesting perspectives onto the show. So it's a really great podcast to get a fresh look at FMA. Look how it like is written as a television show and some of the ways that it translates well to that format from the manga in some ways it doesn't so yeah i really highly recommend their show mentioned and shouted them out before and definitely go check them out it's especially as they're nearing their end i think that yeah there's a lot to look forward to and i'm excited to see them uh, tackle the original fma anime adaptation after they finish brotherhood
0: Ooh, that's cool i now i guess I have a reason to watch the original <laughs> But yeah, please go check that out. It was a lot of fun. But uh, now I think it's time to get into our discussion on Go For It Nakamura. What what, what do you say, Lum?
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. I've been like squirming around wriggling like an octopus. So (laughs) I just want to have us grab hold of our conversation with Anthony and go for Nakamura and get right to it. We got to go for it.
0: Go for it, Manga Mavericks.
1: A cute BL manga with an old-school rom-com feel? You just know we had to go for it. That's right, we are finally recording a retrospective on Sundae's classic feelin' BL manga. Go for it, Nakamura. And we have brought on a really awesome guest to talk about it. With us, you may have seen his writing for comic book resources, Anime Herald, Anime Feminist, Mary Sue, and so many
3: other places, Anthony Gramulia. Wow, you actually pronounced it correctly. That's actually, <laughs> I'm actually really <laughs> impressed by that. I think a lot of people have trouble with this. They they, they 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 add like an extra G in my name. Luckily, I've heard it pronounced before. But that's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Thanks. Oh my god. Yeah. Honestly, it gets really bad. I've gotten people who pronounced it like Grimoglia. I've gotten telemarketers <laughs> who asked for Mister Gregoglia. I'm not sure where they got that from. Oh it's gosh. Odd. I, I I'm not sure how they mispronounced that so badly, but you know, there you go. But no, it's been. It, I'm I'm very thankful to be uh, on your show. I know it's been. Um, I've been very difficult to book. You know, I'm I'm so busy. After all, so many bookings. For sure. <laughs> oh my god, I've just been the worst person to schedule for because every weekend I'm like, yeah, that time I'm like, because I've been relocating, so I've been looking at different houses, and every time, like, hey, how about this weekend? I'm like, I got seven open houses to go to. Very sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule i know it's been super busy for you
3: especially with house hunting how difficult that's God, it's, been it's been yeah. stressful i've been posting on twitter a few times where i've gone to a couple houses and there was one house we went to i you know it, it was it was nice it was pleasant there were a few holes here and there but nothing you can't fix with some spackle and you know money um but we went up to this um the master bedroom opened up the closet and found a like a little almost like a it was like a doll that was facing the corner of the wall. Oh, no. Yeah, I remember like, you telling the story. I'm yeah, <laughs> it was really weird. I posted the pictures on Twitter, but like the doll was like facing a corner. And my, me, my fiance and the realtor, we all took photos of it. And immediately our phones crashed after taking <laughs> one photo. Uh-oh. It's
1: just so funny.
3: Like my phone started overheating in my hands and just only one. We, we, I tried snapping a few photos. Only one saved. And we we're like, yeah, we're we'll leaving. um, Uh What
1: a creepy experience. Like you really are in a real life horror. Like you're in like one of those uh, Amity conjuring horror movies.
3: (laughs) Creepy (laughs) dolls and all. I was thinking of, yeah, I was thinking of uh, the Annabelle doll from the Conjuring. It looked kind of like that, except the real Annabelle doll is actually just like a a little raggedy Ann thing. If you ever go to the actual uh, exhibit where they show it. Wait a 2nd not. This isn't a horror podcast. Why are we talking about <laughs> creepy
0: dolls? Uh, I feel like I'm listening to the haunted doll watch segment on uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me right now. Oh my goodness! Yes.
1: No, no, this isn't a horror podcast. I would have been more appropriate if we were talking about Sunday's other work, totally cuts from the general Art. But no, we're talking about like their much sweeter, much really cute and fluffy rom com series, Nakamura. And yeah, like this is a series that's. It's been out for a while now. In English, it came out from Seven Seas in 2018, July, and uh, it was originally published since uh, 2014 wow. and ended in 2016. It's a one volume work, but it also has a sequel, More <laughs> Go for and Nakamura, or Gopher and More Nakamura Ratters. how I think they would localize it. But that has not been localized yet, although I hope it will be, because I do want to see the further adventures of Nakamura and Hirosei.
3: Yeah, I have not read this sequel either. So what we're going so any any information I have is purely on the first volume. I don't know anything about the second volume. I haven't read it, uh, though I want to.
0: Yeah, all I know about the sequel is that like I guess it started and then I went on hiatus for a while and then it like came yeah. back recently. I think. Yeah. Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't even think it's uh, been compiled into a graphic novel yet. They're still just publishing. Chapters. So it may take a while, but when it is compiled in a volume, I'm sure it'll be snatched up because this was a very resonant, very popular series when it got published in English, and even to this day, still has a lot of fandom alike in it because uh, there's the whole Gopher Nakamura cover meme that has been going around since the spring of this year. So this series, even though it's a one volume work, it really uh, struck a chord with a lot of people and still does to this day in terms of just reflecting parts of the queer experience and also kind of just being like a nice queer rom-com that's less fluffy as a lot of other classic uh, manga rom-coms from back in the day. Like it has that very much throwback feel and a lot of people have described it as akin to the works of Takahashi and I definitely would agree as like a big Takahashi fan, it definitely Mm. gives a lot of vibes of those classic scenarios. But in general, what's great about it is that, of course, you know, it is like the a school life type comedy with all those kind of storylines you'd expect from uh, school festivals to class trips and school plays. Like it takes all the tropes and puts a nice crew spin on them. That's what makes it so lovely. Mm-hmm. But I want to get into how we just are introduced to this series. I mean... I guess just starting off for me, it's pretty simple, is that I heard the great reputation of the series when it got licensed, and people, you know, making comparisons to, like, Takahashi's works, and obviously that intrigued me, and so when it came out from the 70s, I read it, and I really, really enjoyed it, and Mm -hmm. that's basically the, the kind of short of it, like, I just really appreciated the series, like, it was just so cute, I definitely... Uh, related to some parts of Nakamura's experiences or at least his anxieties. And mm-hmm. I just found it like a nice, comforting little read. And I certainly appreciated a lot of the uh pieces that came out about the series after it came out, including one by you, Anthony, for Annie Feminist. And so I now wanna turn it to you.
3: Oh, okay. Uh no you th- it's a lot that's a lot to process all at once right there. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do wanna before I go into my story about how I discovered this manga, I do wanna say one Little silly thing. I've had, because of the long scheduling process for this uh, episode, I've had Gopher Nakamura sitting at my writing desk um, <laughs> for the last three months, as a matter of fact, just <laughs> propped up with different um, bookmarks uh, throughout the whole thing. Because, of course, and when I use bookmarks, I don't use actual bookmarks, I just take tissues and put them in there. It's really convenient <laughs> when you're done with them, you can just blow your nose. It's a, it's a great way to recycle <laughs> and reuse. Um, yeah, it's very useful. I, honestly, I recommend it to anyone. If you, if you, and, and especially if it does steal a book. Anyway, so my yeah, fiance very no, efficient
1: been, and eco friendly.
3: No, it's oh, I not mean, none of eco friendly, but it's, it's,
0: oh, it's efficient okay. for sure. Yeah, um, I mean that's a lot of tissues, probably.
3: <laughs> oh God, yeah, right? Absolutely, but you need them. I mean, if you have allergies, they're very useful. But anyway, so I've had this this book by my desk this whole time, and my fiance has every time. Uh, you know they've been by my desk they have an opinion on it and they're always like uh, oh yeah so it's the book with the bisexual disaster like well I'm not bi he's <laughs> gay but you get, you get the idea he might be bi he might. there's an inkling I like think he... he's i think he says he's gay
1: yeah but then he wonders if he could be bi when he sees uh harose's sister
0: yeah yeah he always so- wonders it yeah yeah, that doesn't favorite.
1: continue from there, but, like, it might be, like, oh, I'm attracted to specifically her Rosé, and so I find her attracted to his sister because she looks like him, or he mm. might so- also just have a selective interest in some girls, but... I, I do
2: I love that one far, panel, he,
3: yeah, <laughs> i I love that panel. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. sent <laughs> <the>, it <I've sent laughs> to people, like, all the time. as like, a joke whenever they show send, like, fan art of, like, someone in my, my direction. Um, you know, certain characters, especially. But no, I was going to say. Um, I mean, we want to go into the whole Kinsey scale thing, which we probably will at some point. Um, since you really can't talk about queer readings of fiction without mentioning the Kinsey scale at least once. Um, everyone is on that spectrum somewhere. There's very few all straight, all gay people, you know. But that's more bringing a psychosexual perspective into it, which is a little more heady than I want to at this moment. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, what wasn't even talking about hey, sorry, how I yeah. this series. Um So I found it on Twitter, actually, or Tumblr. I, I forget which one I was using when I found it, but some artists I was following were, were posting pages of the Seven Seas um, uh, translation of it. I think it's translated by, let me get the translator's name here so I can give them credit. I have the book right next to me. Um, yeah,
1: translated by Amber
3: Thomasitis. Okay, yes. All credit to Amber because this is a, really funny translation mm. and yeah, now I'm seeing Thomas Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause translation is a very difficult art. I'll give mm-hmm. you at the time. Anyway. So I found the like, artists I was following online, especially, um, kind of, uh, I think actually a lot of, um, a lot of Western comic artists actually, which is interesting. were posting about it. So I was seeing something that was making the jump from the Eastern fandom to the Western fandom very quickly, and I really was like, "Oh, I gotta gotta check this out! This looks really adorable." And again, like you said before, it really does resemble um, Takahashi's um style. Not exact, not like a one to one necessarily, but you know, from the way the hair is drawn, the eyes, the face, the body language, this, the physical comedy throughout, like it really made me think of Takahashi's. Uh, aesthetic more with Ranma uh, specifically, I think was the one I thought of immediately. Looking mm-hmm. at it, maybe a little more stylized, but you know, very similar. And I bought the book uh, right from there. It was I, I, immediately I just physically bought the physical copy. I forget. If it, I think I might have gotten it from a bookstore. I'm not sure. Maybe Barnes and Noble. I'm not not sure which. But either way, uh, I read it in like one sitting. It was a very quick read. And I just was just loved it. And you mentioned for my anime feminist piece. I think that was my first piece for them. Mm. I think that was the first time I, I wrote for them. I'm actually writing a piece for them now. I'm just, Ooh, nice. I'm just, I'm just terrible at making deadlines. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, I've been here. just. I'm like, yeah, be done this week. <laughs> it is almost done. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know that feel. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, it, it, it's a. It's about a. Manga, I'm not particularly fond of, but um uh, oh. so it's been a little, it's taken like, getting into the headspace to write about it, it's been a little tough, but yeah, it sounds uh, you know, even harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a manga, uh, and I probably will com- draw a comparison to it later on during this podcast because it's another romance manga actually mm. that deals with romance in a very terrible way, a very toxic way, and I feel like that toxicity is what often kind of wards me off of certain very popular romantic series. Uh, A lot of them, and mind you, I'm talking in generals, obviously there's tons of exceptions to this, a lot of um, and extend to go as far as, say, romances in general, there are components of it, either the way the romance is written or the way the characters talk to each other or treat each other, that can come across as very toxic and abusive Mm -hmm. when the manga frames it as either funny or romantic. And that always really – it really rubs me the wrong way. It, it could be an otherwise perfect series with amazing art, great characters. But if the core romance is accidentally very unpleasant, that might ruin it. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying like in any story period. There's a lot of stories with, the romance, with toxic romances as a core subject matter. But the writer is aware it's toxic, whereas some of these, it doesn't seem the case. But go for it, Nakamura. There's nothing toxic in the story at all. just pure like fluff. Uh, pure joy, pure um, yeah. young love, pure au- social awkwardness, anxiety. characters, bumbling around, <laughs> you know, actually ever admitting that they, you know, if the doof is just, you know, talk to him, it'd be so much more, you know. But uh, Nakamura as a main character is very earnest, very sympathetic, very relatable. I think. And while Hirose, what I like about that Hirose in general is he's a character who starts off. Kind of as like this adorable, clueless dude, essentially. Mm -hmm. And as the story goes on, you begin to see the depths of his character. You see his perspectives, you see his anxieties, his fears. And part of what I like about this manga so much, it's Nakamura kind of learning who his crush is. Yeah. And it doesn't affect that he has a crush on it. In fact, it makes the relationship feel more strong. I think.
1: It, yeah, it deepens his love for Hirose. Like, if initially, he just has, like, kind of a general attraction to him, just because of, like, he, he just finds, I guess, a physical attraction, just something about him attracts him to Hirose. But he doesn't really start to learn more about him until, you know, the story goes on and he gets to see more sides of him, learns his likes and dislikes, and gets a, more of a sense of his personality and that he also, you know, Even though he's, like, a popular kid, even though, like, he's he's pretty nice, like, there's there's kind of a a fault to that in that he's also a kid who can't really say no even when he's made or asked to do something he doesn't like or uh, the people around him are talking about things he doesn't really want to be parried to. And so I think that's a good arc as uh, Nakamura kind of learning more about Hirose in that way and then also towards the end of the story like giving him a moment where he's like, hey you know, you also should be outspoken of what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And I think that's a, it's a great arc that ultimately Nakamura's own journey of like being more comfortable being more outgoing himself and Putting himself out there to befriend Hirose so be comfortable talking with him, and not being as afraid or worried about sharing his likes and dislikes, like particularly for things that other people might find strange, like his love of octopuses.
3: I love that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite panels is just near the beginning, where he's he's imagining Hirose with the octopus, and it just goes into like yeah. pure hentai. And I'm just like, this is oh yeah. This is so cheesy, and it's ridiculous, but it's also yeah. really funny.
1: That's the more saucy illustration in the book. And also, I think yeah. it's interesting. Uh, there was a great piece by a friend of the show, Trevor Richardson, of mm-hmm. Curating the Guillotine, mm-hmm. about like the octopus in Gopher Nakamura as a motif and metaphor for Nakamura's queerness and his queer experiences. Because much like how he likes uh, Hiroze, he finds all these good quality octopuses that really endears them to him. But that also is tied to, like his career, it's tied to his fantasies and desires. And those merge in this one panel in this more erotic fantasy. And I think Mm. that's super interesting. I agree, yeah. Overall, Nakamura as a series is not super sexually charged in uh, comparison to a lot of other rom-coms. However, it does not shy away from the desires of Nakamura as a character, and I think the octopus is really cleverly used here as kind of a reflection of, hey, this is something Nakamura is interested in, but other people find strange and sometimes are even repulsed by in a way that hurts him. However, in his relationship with say someone who also appreciates and accepts octopuses and thus accepts that side of Nakamura he can become more comfortable expressing that part of himself. Uh, those that part that likes those things, and that also reflects upon him being more comfortable in his own queerness mm. and expressing that
3: as well. I can see that. That's a very good read on it. I agree with everything you said. I do want to add something else, though. I had a different perspective on that too. Mm. But I think everything you said is completely. I think I agree with everything you said. But my read of the octopus was a little different than him being weird. I mean, obviously he is, but my perspective was more, it was a representation of his uh, distance from other people. Mm. In the text of the, in the text of the manga, uh, we see a flashback later on of him, you know, kind of talking about octopuses and how much he loves them to his peers. And they kind of treat him as like a weirdo, you know, he's from his odd and other and strange. And yeah. this, I think kind of sparks, and this, and this isn't like a subtextual thing, this is the text of the, of the manga itself, really showcases how he is a character he is afraid of expressing himself and expressing his interests and what he wants uh, out of fear of rejection out of fear of people judging him yeah throughout the whole manga we see every time he does anything that you know where he stands up for himself or stands out in any way he immediately has like almost an anxiety attack later on like he's You know, he's kicking, he's kicking himself in his bed. He's, he's like (laughs) running away at at breakneck speeds. And I see the source of all that from is the flashback to him as a kid. It's a very small moment, I think. But I think it really informs the way the character is written from there on out. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I definitely agree with the read on on it being a representation of his queerness, obviously, because, you know, anything that ostracizes you makes you stand out is a, a component that will be judged by others. Yeah, and it's especially true in a culture like Japan, which values conformity. We even see shades of that with uh, Hirose himself when he has got a guidance counselor who's kind of like about to freaking like <laughs> scalp him over like his hair, like basically oh, dye everything. Yeah,
1: his natural hair us. color, like, and just because he does not fit into this idea of conformity that they want. Yeah. Which is another cool thing that also reflects upon the team of like, hey, this person is sticking out and then they are being asked to conform, even though that's just a part of who they are. That's a natural part of who they are. They can't, they can't just change that. That's just how they normally express themselves. And mm-hmm. it's. I think that story is also a good representation of the importance of allyship when Order Gear Sensei comes in and helps cover for Hirose, basically, and mm-hmm. protects him from, you know, basically getting his hair uh, shaved off. I think that's a a really good reflection of, in this manga, like people sticking up for each other and recognizing, hey, this is what this person, this is how they are and this is what they like and th- that's okay and i want to be there to support them in that so i really appreciate that i also feel that our readings of uh the octopus are pretty intertwined i think in terms of like nakamura's fear of rejection causing his social isolation and also it as a reflection of a metaphor for his identity because you know he also is keeping that part of himself his crew identity a secret as well, or at least not. He's reluctant to be as open about it. Mm. Much like in the same way, he has a little bit of an a fear or irritation of the fact that people don't appreciate his love for Octopi. And I, I think that's very well timed. in for another flashback scene, you see when uh, he has brought his uh, BL book to school, the bento, the anthropomorphic bento BL manga, and uh, he ends up like dropping it in front of Rose and then Rose shows it in front of class and Nakamura can't, is like afraid to like own up to the fact that he's interested, that that's his book, that he reads up Biel manga because of a fear of rejection, of ostracization. He flashes back to a moment in his childhood where he was ridiculed for losing his underwear and I think, yeah, that stigma that fear of like being uh, ridiculed, being like look down upon and mocked for the things he liked that keeps from really being open about those things so I get that
3: yeah I'm sorry you're gonna say something before by the way (laughs) we kind of yeah Colton go ahead we got really really into that discussion what are you gonna
0: say (laughs) No, I was I was just gonna make a dumb joke and be like, "Man, where is my Go for it, Otagiri Sensei spinoff?" That's kind of what I love,
1: Otagiri Sensei. Like Uh, he's he's such a good teacher. I think. I mean, no, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Otagiri is exactly. I mean, former delinquent turned ally to students who also run a brush of the status quo. Yeah, he's
0: totally channels Onizuka vibes. No, you know what? I I was like, as soon as I had that thought. That came into mind too, but I also thought, man, it would be great to have like, I mean, I guess we do, but it would, it would be great to have like a great teacher Onizuka series that didn't like, that didn't start off with the teacher wanting to get into teaching because he yeah. wants to creep on girls, you know, that's... No, yeah. That's still like my least favorite thing about, you know, about yeah. an otherwise pretty good yeah. manga, I would say, you know. Yeah.
3: yeah that's the problem with any older manga and this is a point i want to make as well later on when you get into the more heady stuff with the manga a yeah. lot of when you get into the 80s and 90s stuff there's always going to be for every amazing story there's going to be stuff that hasn't aged as well
1: no
0: for it's sure Always a caveat
1: especially yeah. when it comes to sexual assault or sexual desires of characters portrayed for comedy in a way that
3: is yeah. less than uh appropriate it's very problematic. Uh, Absolutely. It's actually very funny. One of the things I'm reading, I mentioned before I'm writing an article uh, right now f- that will get done eventually, editors for the anime feminist, I promise. <laughs> why, why are you
0: podcasting with us where you can get your writing done? Because uh, writer's block. <laughs> no, but... Um, <laughs>
3: but um, no. So one of the things I've been reading up on that was a lot of uh, older Rumiko Takahashi stuff, specifically... Mm. The, it's not about Rumiko Takahashi, but it's a point of reference in it. Mm-hmm. In rereading older Yatsura Ursa Ursa Yatsura? Yatsura yeah. Yatsura right y- Yatsura, I always get those two words mixed up when <laughs> saying it. A lot of it a, has aged kind of problematically because it is because a I'm I'm getting the I know Lum I'm, I'm forgetting the boyfriend's name in that right uh, Ataru. Ataru Ataru there you go like, Ataru is a bit of a sleaze bag. So when he get like, when he yeah. gets like electroshocked for being such a sleazy character, you almost don't register it as. Female on male abuse, like you kind of think, oh, he's just being a jerk and he's getting his comeuppance. Yeah. But like when you look back on it, you're like, this is a very toxic, unpleasant relationship. That's right. played for like. Laughs. It's not a
1: model of a real relationship. I think no. it works no. in no. the context of Yastrach just because it's a slapsticky Looney Tunesy world in terms of the characters and shenanigans that go on that series. But yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, I
1: mean, you're not. Yeah, you cannot absolutely take the characters as role models and to treat the relationship like as seriously as you would like a more down to earth realistic one in any way.
3: I mean you could, yeah. but you'd be miserable doing it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
1: it's not advisable.
3: No, I, I, I I'm not the kind of person who can read every text the same way. Like I'm not mm. gonna watch Yatsura with the same eye I'd I'd watch Evangelion with. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. <laughs> No, that's fair. Yeah, and you, and you have to you have to take each text individually as what is this author trying to accomplish? What is this writer trying to accomplish? What's the artist trying to accomplish? You have to take their intent uh, to an extent and say, okay, what gets in the way of their intent? And you yeah. look at, and you look at what um, Sunday? sunde Okay, because you guys did it perfect before. And I want
0: to make sure I wasn't mispronouncing it, um, or maybe it's maybe it's shunde, shunde. That could be hmm. it too. Maybe. <laughs> anyway.
3: Yeah, returning to your article. Yeah, Nakamura. <laughs> so actually, one point of why I wanted to write it so much uh, initially, and I'm not sure what the order of writing was with this. I'm not sure if I wrote the Nakamura article first for Anime Feminist or I wrote this one article about really bad yaoi for CBR first. I forget the order, but uh, the idea has always been in my head since I was for many years now. Not about Nakamura, what I'm about to say. A lot of nineties yao, the nineties yaoi scene was kind of a toxic dumpster hmm ignoring the yaoi paddles debacle, which is just a terrible process in general. But a lot yeah. of the shows that were coming, a lot of the OVAs being produced or the mangas being produced, were very fetishistic and very um, violent. Uh, very few consensual relationships uh, were present. I remember. During the, the 90s, I forget exactly when Gravitation came out. I think it was like maybe that was 2000s. So I'm not sure, but
1: I think Gravitation was late 90s.
3: It was late 90s, that makes sense too. So I get that. And for whatever reason, I think when I think of Gravitation, I also think of uh Loveless, mm. which is a very toxic series. That one was very. Oh. I revisited that for another article with CBR and I was like, this is actually, I feel like this is like, should have a content warning on it because um, <laughs> it's a bit of a, the, the topics are not in loveless or not really for people who want to relate to the characters. They're more just really painful and really, uh, I won't get into it.
0: The point is that a <laughs> lot of
3: stories were very toxic. There weren't many wholesome, Yaoi stories. There were a lot of, very unpleasant ones. There was some wholesome Yuri, but not much for Yowie, which kind of makes Nakamura feel like it's almost like a, a relic from a bygone past. It feels, I think, more classic than it really is because it's done in a way that's very reminiscent of stories from the 90s, from that era, the art style, the, the pacing, the way the romance kind of plays out, with, of course, less really a lot of the 90s stories also had a lot of Intense um, plot twists and dramatic turns. But I'm not sure what my point is with all this. (laughs) I feel like I was getting to something really cool, but now I feel like I lost focus on what I was trying to say initially. So, yeah, Nakamura is very wholesome, very warm, and it feels like it fills, fills a niche that a younger reader from the 90s wished they had filled. Something wholesome and fun, but not, at the same time, also not prudish. Yeah. But also without, you know, some of the awful stuff you'd see in, like, in Yaoi OVA's.
1: Yeah, like, a rom-com that has, is about a queer protagonist exploring a queer romance that doesn't uh queerness in any way, or portray it as this either forbidden thing, this taboo thing, or amps up, or leads into the sexuality And the desire for physical relationships as much. This is definitely a feelings-first manga. A manga about Nakamura wanting to become emotionally closer with Hirose first and foremost. And just working towards being friends with him before anything else. And that is a rare thing to see in a, a lot of, especially these older BL stories as you're describing which do lean more into kind of the taboo-ness quote-unquote of queerness and also as we mentioned before a lot of these stories do play up uh, physical relationships sexual visions with acts of assault being kind of an impetus for that relationship which is not great like if if you're a young queer reader who just wants to read about a nice queer romance with characters you know you can see yourself in and relate with and yeah also to go to your point about how Nakamura fills a niche uh and a gap that where there was not this representation in these classic rom-com series like uh I, you know I'm a lover of those series I'm a lover of Takahashi and uh you know I resonate a lot with you know queer-coded elements of Takahashi's works, especially with Rama. There's just so many people, myself included, that resonated with the idea of Rama's gender-bending. But, like, Mm. the series are very... They're not inviting to queer readers. In fact, often they are um, kind of antagonistic, or they have not a great perspective on queerness, or... Gender identity necessarily like I've been reviewing your Seiyasha volumes, and that's my favorite series of all time. And I love the character of uh, Rionosuke so much, and she's such a tra- great trans-coded character. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of elements of Takahashi's writing that is a uh, you know she, she a little gender essentialist, or a little bit like she believes in like the strict idea of a gender of the gender binary. That women normally behave one way, men normally behave the other way. And that isn't very super, I for gender non-conforming and trans folks. And that's always mm-hmm. disappointing to see, to say nothing of um, some of the more, again, Takahashi's tension for using uh, sexual assault-type moments for comedy is yeah. unfortunate. So yeah. it's nice to have a manga like Nakamura, like... That you can give now to younger queer manga readers and say, "Hey, you're looking for a nice, cute rom com with a gay man as the lead, just exploring his feelings for another person, and just getting to all the classic, like you mentioned before, like school life rom com shenanigans, <laughs> like all the trappings you would come to expect of a rom com manga, all the types of storylines, but with a queer lead, that is meaningful. That is mm. great. That now you can have this book." To point to and to give to younger queer readers. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so resonant, and that's why it left such impact, even as a one-volume work. And, you know, why we have the this trend of the cover parodies, because it speaks to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, if I could summarize the past few minutes of the conversation, I'd say that, like, Go For It, Nakamura is easily, like, the best combination of, like, retro and modern at the same time absolutely
1: <clears throat> i mean the other modern thing about it is that yeah like again it's about a queer protagonist that doesn't angst over the fact that he's queer as much like yeah. he's as as we mentioned like Nakamura is a little reluctant to be super open about you know his feelings for Hirose and not necessarily out to everyone as far as we know However, Mm. like, this is never a manga that says, oh, the feelings I have for Hirose are forbidden. They're wrong because we're both boys or anything like that. Mm. No, Nakamura is confident in his identity as a gay teenager, and he's just trying to figure out the best way to kind of get a feel for, you know, Hirose's feelings and, like, trying and become closer to him. And I I really appreciate that aspect in general. There's never a moment where Nakamura is, like... Just fretting or afraid of the fact that he is queer, like he's totally accepting and takes ownership of that.
3: No, I get that too. um You know that kind of reminds me a lot of the of the discourse surrounding um Yuri on Ice when it first came out. The mm. world itself is a fantasy it, in the sense that there is no homophobia, there's no bigotry. I, I guarantee it. If you had a nat- if you if you had on national television two ice skaters kiss each other, who are both male, in on the world stage, and one of them's in Russian a country well-known for really bad systematic homophobia. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, I mean, generally Japan has some problems, too, but Russia, it's, it's a lot worse. You know, if yeah. you had that, there would be a lot of backlash. But in that world, yeah. there's nothing. It's, they don't mention it because it's a, it's a fantasy. It's meant to be elevated reality where people could be happy. And I like how they avoid any direct homophobia in Go for it, Nakamura for that reason also. You don't need not every story dealing with that topic should be focused on the systematic bigotry of it. Yeah. There should be right. some just wholesome, good... And I say wholesome not as a non-sexual, but as a non... Um, as in it's not society trying to um, break the characters down or re-mold them
0: into their ideal. Um, no, I... I yeah. Out, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wanted to find the right word for it. I would put it in... I was going to say... I think we need more stories that where this kind of thing is just kind of normal where yeah. like like it doesn't have to be like a big uh, it doesn't have to be like a big ordeal in order to like just be yourself, you know? Not every story yeah. has to focus I mean, on that kind of thing.
1: Especially since you know, the reality of being queer is you are confronted with queer homophobia, queerphobia, phobia, transphobia on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You are aware of it in the world and the violence against Queer communities in the world. To have a source of escapism into a world in which those things are not a factor, not something to be afraid of, that is so valuable. And again, especially uh, for younger queer readers, I think that is a very validating thing to have. Mm-hmm. To like imagine a world in which your feelings, uh, in which your identity, you're not like under threat. Because of that, and you can be free to explore those like comfortably.
3: Mm, I agree. Uh I, I do have two points I want to bring up though, both of which I was thinking while you were talking. I'll, I'll bring up the first one first because it's more relevant to Nakamura. The second one's a little more generalized. Um, you know, in, in the manga at one point there is one scene where, or one chapter where uh Nakamura brings like a yaoi manga as like a dating guide to school mm. with them. And then that kind of spurs on a whole thing with the fan artist the the artist character who just starts drawing like i mean heroes say the other and i feel like that's a good examination to think of exploring identity through art uh right yeah. there, because you you are able because i think a lot of people they empath they work through their um personal identity through the arts that they consume i know personally um i strong again one one of the most meaningful to me one of my all-time favorite anime is evangelion And I think I love it so much because it helped me sort out a lot of my own personal issues I had when I first watched it, which is, you know, you're you're a teenager, you have a lot of stuff going on in your life, you know, a lot of anxiety, a lot of issues. And uh, that that has been meaningful to me my whole life since then. So we, we discover ourselves through the art we consume. And that's especially true with works like this. I think it demonstrates that quite well. He knows who he is, but he helps figure out who he is and how to, And act, act through himself, through the art he consumes, and through the artistic experience. And to a lesser extent, I also think a lot of, kind of going going back to the points we were making before about older works of fiction, older anime, you find sometimes that a lot of creators who created work that is very problematic end up, you know, it seems as though in hindsight they were using their arts to come to conclusions about themselves, and one example of this that I was thinking about is uh, Yuatase, the, mm. the manga
2: who yeah. Oh, yeah. if
3: you've ever read her work, it's I, 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 I'm I'm very fond or well, their work I should say. I'm very fond of their work, but you know, a lot of it has some very problematic elements that have not aged all that well. Yeah. And knowing oh, yeah. what we know about Yuatase now, well I think I should just I should I shouldn't bury the lead here. Yu, Yu Itase, I think in 2016, 2015 came out as non-binary. Uh, yeah, I think the word is exgender. Exgender, yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're not they're not cis, is what it comes down to. Um, but if you read um, Fushigi Yugi, which is their first manga that was like got mainstream success, there's the character of Nuriko who is a gay crossdresser, and you can't help but and they have this whole big. Explanation as to justifying why she's gay. Oh, he's gay, but also maybe he's not because he also ends up having a thing for the main character, who is a, a girl. And it's this weird kind of—I almost want to say weird—is in the character's weird. Nieruko is a great character, and I really, really like that. Lots of them of that manga, even if somebody hasn't aged well. But you can see the author working through identity through that character. Absolutely. Which becomes more apparent later on I feel.
1: Oh absolutely like not just in Fushigi Yugi like in Sarah's Mm. especially that entire series is like Watase working through their talks on gender identity on relationship dynamics between men and women and like what they take from that and it's so fascinating just reading that series and just reading these conversations of people interrogating those dynamics and then just her them and their author's comments in the margins, like also describing their thoughts and then how they're working through those thoughts in the story. Like, it's just so fascinating to see in their work, they're working out their own feelings about gender identity. And I think in writing the, their stories over the years, that probably helped them kind of figure out their own feelings on their own. So to your point, like, I think both, in consuming and experiencing fiction, and both in creating it, these things are something that can help you get a better sense of your own identity and feel more confident in what you're feeling and in who you are. And I think that's a great thing about Nakamura. Again, is like, yeah, like <laughs> he raised this kind of fantastical, <laughs> like anthropomorphic <laughs> bento BL manga,
2: which, by uh, the to way, Dennis, to learn about I would real read. romance.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. it's such yeah. a great pro man it's such
3: oh, yeah. a In great five <laughs> it's, yeah. totally away. it's like fighting oh. foodons except gayer i love it
1: <laughs> oh. but yeah, oh, yeah like i think nakamura's uh, approach that oh i want to learn more about love so i'm going to read check out like stories manga about you know queer romance about two men in love gay romance like i I think that is how a lot of especially younger queer folks look to when they're starting to export identity they look to queer media they look to see representation of themselves that kind of work through their own feelings mm. i think uh for the longest time uh you know especially the genres of well i think with yuri especially because yuri has been a lot predominantly for like queer women for other queer women in a sense but i think also with, the relationship between queer male folk and BL, like a lot of them will gravitate towards that or have gravitated towards that to see and inter like works through their own gender fields and, mm. and their sexuality. And also just in general, utter queer media featuring like queer men characters or even just queer coded
3: characters now when you say yuri you mean like you, you mean you mean you obviously mean the yuri genre not like yuri on ice right because different- no i mean i mean yeah, yeah. the yuri genre yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. there's different but... discourses i just make sure I, I i think i i I figured this will make sure i wasn't like misfollowing. no no <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah i also love that nakamura then has uh kawamura make art of him and hiroshi together so that's another way again in the creation of art that him exploring more of his feelings and more of his identity. So I I like mm. how Nakamura shows both the uh, consumption of the aspect and the creation of art aspect of, like, you know, finding comfortably exploring uh, your own identity. So that's mm. a really cool aspect of the series. No,
3: yeah. I will say this also. I was once, I think at New York, last New York Comic Con, I was talking to um, Erica Friedman, who runs. Mm. Yeah, a friend of the show. Yeah, she, yep, she's she's yep. brilliant. I I think she's a brilliant, brilliant person. Um, mm-hmm. shout out to Erica if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 she was like, she messaged me at at, at New York Comic Con. It's like, oh, hey, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm 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 talking to people. Hey, come on over. I'm like, oh, that's great. We just talked a little bit. <laughs> you know, and, and she was mentioning like really old school Yuri titles, like, like we're talking like the novels, not just you know like old teen novels and what have you back, like way, way, way back. And you know, you see this. This sense even back in the 1920s and 10s in Japan, you see these people kind of working with these ideas and you wonder how much, and you don't want to project, you know what I mean? You never want to project your perspectives on the reading process. Like I'll say this about y- Yuatase, because it's clear what Yuwatase has gone through. We can talk all about, you know, Day because I think they're pretty open about like why they wrote Nakamura. Mm-hmm. But with these older writers, it's hard to really tell what, they were thinking when they made their works, Um, because there's just not enough information on the writers of these older teen novels. And um, it's just interesting. I just find the the conversation surrounding why artists make the art they do and how readers relate to the art that they read. So fascinating. I would like to add, though, it's a good thing that with um, Nakamura, he was reading fetish bento box PL, uh, (laughs) as opposed to something like fish in the trap which was mm. when I was... This is the manga I was thinking of before, and I was thinking of, like, bad 90s yaoi. Um, if, have you ever... Do you know anything about Fish in the Trap? No, I have not... Uh, Same here, yeah. ...experienced it. Okay, so Fish in the Trap was a, a BL anime I discovered back when I was, like, working with an article on CBR on queer male representation in anime, and uh, I went down the rabbit hole with this one. It's a one episode o v a it's a prequel to the three volume manga and hmm. um it's all on YouTube. You can find it right now after the show. I guarantee it you'll find it. it is um horrible <laughs> it's um basically <laughs> teachers um and their students and uh very much non um <laughs> no one is saying yes um And you get what I'm going at with this. It's just a very unpleasant time. And um, that was the that was what was available in the 90s. That was it really. In terms of pure series centered around this topic, that was the only thing you're going to get. I mean, that and Banana Fish, but like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Banana Fish is great, but like it's not a series you go to for like if you have like a need for. Yeah, it's like a hard crime, very I mean, the
1: relationship between Ash and A.G. is very sweet, but unfortunately, you know, it ends in bittersweet tragedy. And there's a lot of content warnings for, you know, sexual assault and child trafficking in that series.
3: But Banana Fish is that kind of story. Yeah. It is sweet, but that sweetness highlights the intensity of the point of the story. Right. It works because they were writing a story centered on very difficult Topics, you know, so so you go in knowing that you, you don't go in expecting Uriane Ice unless mm-hmm. you know you go unless you're doing the whole killing stalking thing where you were like, Oh wow, Uriane Ice was so good, I hope I can find something else that's also as good, and then you find <laughs> like, Oh wow, this is a really horrible horror, horror story, <laughs> and you went in with the wrong expectations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, banana fish isn't just like that just to be like that, you know, no, there's a point, there's a point to yeah. it, there's a yeah. method to the madness. <laughs>
3: He thinks there's a method to his madness. <laughs> Sorry. I, I've been on the Shakespeare kick recently too on, on top of everything else. Um, but no, like I think what we're all getting at is that art is so valuable and powerful, especially when dealing with marginalization in this sense because, you know, life is full of marginalization and it's not a pleasant experience. People have to deal with being judged for their um, beliefs, their opinions, their, you know, everything. So stories like this, they're very wish fulfillment are uncommon when dealing with specific marginalized identities, because especially in manga, they're very, again, is a, a high degree of conformity in a lot of stories. You have to conform to fit in society in a lot of narratives. Mm-hmm. And if you're outside that track, then you're deemed as other or you're penalized narrative as a result. And stories that really are about generally breaking through conformity tend to resonate very well, especially with queer readers, because, you know, that's a key thing in the identity. This particular story has those elements, but makes the subtext text, which is something I really like about it thematically. Like, yeah, it is a silly rom-com, goofy high school story. Yeah, obviously it is that. But there is depth to that decision to make it that kind of story. There's a lot going on there. Is a reason why I have a lot of respect for stories that are of quality, but also you know, simple because they're not vapid. It's simplicity is not vapidity, if you know what I mean. It's it's there's a depth to it. There's a lot of meaningful. Silly fun can be very meaningful. Yeah, is well yeah. well i at. Yeah, I think I think that's how I can sum up my whole point in like a few words. It it is silly. It is fun, but it's also highly meaningful, and I think that's. One of the reasons why this, I come back to this series uh, when others might fall to the wayside, there is this sincerity to the to the affection. And I feel a lot of people are drawn to that sincerity, especially the cover. It, it's like, how do you encapsulate an entire mood in like one solid image? You do that. <laughs> you <have> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a good cover. Oh, it's great. You have anxiety I mean, there's a reason why it's mean. Oh, God. Yeah. Of yeah. course. I haven't seen enough of these memes, honestly, but enough that I've seen. Oh, I've seen so
1: many. Like, it's a lovely trend, but yeah, it's just a great encapsulation of his, like, anxiety and the fact that Hirose is just so ever-present on his mind. Just seeing him, like, blushing, walking, well, just surrounded by thoughts of Hirose and a few spatterings of octopuses, too, which is what it's like together that are always on his mind. Like, it's such a great cover. hmm It's amazing. Representing too. that.
3: I do really love it. I agree, it is so perfect. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, <laughs> you know that's no, well, you really
1: got to the heart of what I think makes the series so resonant, truly, and why it speaks to people. Yes, it is like a fluffy rom com that is free of a lot of real conflict you would say but there is so much value in that because even in that it does focus on themes that are so resonant to the queer experience in this desire for being accepted for your interest for the things that make you who you are and there are elements of the story like nakamura's uh, love and appreciation of octopuses and uh, specific chapters like the chapter in which you know the school counselors or whatever are cracking down on people for their looks and that's explicitly a chapter of like the quote-unquote establishment trying to crack down on people who are like outcasts who are not fitting into this mold of conformity even if people are just expressing themselves naturally, they are forcing change upon them. And so this series does have a lot of thoughtfulness to it in its messages. And I think it comes to a wonderful conclusion in Nakamura, like, throughout the course of the volume, being more comfortable in expressing his likes and being open about them to the person he likes, Rose, Like, he, in turn, at the end of the story, is able to advise him and tell him and make him feel comfortable that, hey, it's okay to say no to these to doing this thing you don't want to do you should also embrace the things that you like that make you you and you, what you really want to do and i think that's such a sweet way to end the story with him being able to help Rosé in that way and also you know them reconfirming their friendship that they've built and we've seen develop throughout the course of this volume i agree so yeah
0: yeah can i can i just say i i really like the ending to this book uh, i thought it ended very well and uh i i like what you said there like that that entire moment where like you know Nakamura is like you know a- asking to be his friend or whatever, and then you kind of you kind of have the build up to the answer by like having somebody you know take a picture of them or whatever, and then you just end it off with, oh, I thought we were already friends. Like that's just yeah, so, it's so that's sweet. just so like it's so sweet yeah. and like reaffirming, and it's just it's such a nice way to end. And I mean, t- I I couldn't help but think like you know if somebody more shallow were to read this, they'd be like oh man, Nakamura just got friend-zoned, oh man, what a terrible place to be, or whatever, but no, it's actually, like, really genuinely sweet that, like, you know, like, you know, I I feel like anybody reading this, you know, they shouldn't expect, like, oh, they're just gonna be in a relationship by the end of this, because relationships just work that fast, and there's no progression at all, but, like, I kind of like that, like, they're not, like, just dating right away, that, like, You know, they have to reaffirm that, like, oh, yeah, we're friends and like, we care about each other. And like, that's, you know, that, yeah, they don't have to, like, automatically get together to, like, reaffirm, like, how much they care about each other or whatever. Like, I I, I like that it's, I like that it's like, kind of a slow build to maybe possibly Mm -hmm. getting to that point. It feels more realistic.
3: I agree entirely. Yeah. I think it's a great way of ending the series. It's so perfect and wholesome, and it really just affirms that kind of feeling of acceptance, which I think is so absolutely. Vital. It yeah. really is a story it ends on a note of pure acceptance. It, it, there is some ambiguity whether or not they get together entirely or not, but you know that's 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 secondary. It, yeah, a story for another day. Yes, yeah, exactly. which perhaps. apparently it's continuing. So that's excellent, honestly. Yeah, I was going
0: to say r- yeah. room for a sequel.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, but that was, yeah, that's that's the manga right there. I think it's a, if you haven't read it yet, you know, I think everyone here has read it more than once. I've read it certainly a few times. <laughs> but no, it, it's worth reading. Uh, I think it's a, it's not going to change your life, but it is going to be a really good read. And that's sometimes all you need in this situation, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure.
1: Again, there are just few, like, BL rom-coms as sweet as Nakamura is and like again that has this kind of old school romcom feel in a way that feels just kind of inviting and is mm. like a fantasy in which like these characters are just able to explore their feelings comfortably and I think there's so much value in that and it's just such a joy to read every time and I think it's a really hearty recommendation to anyone interested in just a charming cute romance comedy story mm-hmm. and yeah like i really appreciated revisiting his manga multiple times uh, in preparation for this podcast
0: yeah yeah and um,
1: i do want to throw it to you colton for uh some wrap-up thoughts because we didn't actually address like you your first impressions of it because i believe like you know, this is a series you want to cover the show this year, and I don't think you had read it before, so, like, I, I want your just final thoughts on the series, and what you you know, enjoyed about it.
0: hmm and, and that's totally fine, because, like, my story wouldn't have been interesting anyway, like, I hadn't heard about the series until, uh, Seven season announced that, like, they picked it up or whatever, and I, I think I only bought it, I, I still have the receipt from when I bought it from, like, my local comic shop, I bought it in twenty twenty <laughs> nineteen.
2: 2019. There you go. And,
0: um, <laughs> I I hadn't really gotten to reading it until we decided to podcast about it. And yeah, this was this was something I wanted to podcast about just because like there are just some things I'm not going to get to unless I podcast about them. That's just how my mind works, unfortunately. But I'm I'm glad I got to this because I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I mean, it it is one of those things where like when I was reading it, I kind of had to like read like a few bits of it at a time you know like it's for me this wasn't the kind of thing that like demanded that I read it all in one sitting like this is the perfect kind of thing where like oh if I just want something like sweet or like something to kind of like fill my time a little bit something that doesn't like require like too much thought or attention like this is the kind of thing I really liked kind of picking up and putting back down whenever I I just needed a need a little dose of sugar you know
3: yeah it's mm-hmm. a, it's very episodic, which is good,
0: you know yeah, 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 and I, I like that about it too, but yeah, no, I mean final thoughts like i obviously I recommend it it's such a great like a one and done kind of thing again, the, the sequel coming up, I'm sure that'll be fun, but like if you wanted to just like put it down here, I think that'd be fine too. Mm. like I think it ends at a very great place, and like if for some reason you had no interest in the sequel, you could be you could just kind of imagine you know a, 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 like a world where like oh like w- i wonder what the relationship could be like after this or whatever like kind of yeah that's what perfect for there. yeah mm-hmm. exactly
1: yeah you can imagine the journey of the characters from here on out
0: yeah and i i guess the last thing i wanted to mention is we we kept talking about like kept comparing go for it nakamura to like other bl and yaoi and uh you know something i've talked about on the podcast before you know especially whatever the topic of BL and Yahweh comes up is you know part of the reason i you know i myself uh never really gave that those kinds of stories a chance was because of the fact that like a lot of the stuff that i had been like exposed to or like a lot of the stuff that like maybe my friends were reading at the time you know was all these kinds of like stories that do kind of hinge on like stuff that i find really uncomfortable like you know sexual assaulty kind of stuff like really like exploitative kind of stuff where like just overall really like toxic stuff that I'm I'm personally just not into personally speaking and mm-hmm. and so you know like I I legitimately didn't know that there could be like stories like this like nice sweet simple stories about people just kind of like getting to know each other and spending time together and like reaffirming their existences with each other like just like really sweet wholesome stuff like I I genuinely never really thought like that BLR Yaoi could be like this. And that, again, if you listen to our Futakia episode where we talked about, you know, a bunch of different titles on that service, like, I think that episode really showed me, like, oh, there's actually more to this uh, genre or style of storytelling or whatever. Like, there's actually something for me. And I can really appreciate that about the diversity of, uh, like, these kinds of stories in particular. Yeah, yeah, I I get that. And, And the fact of the matter is that, you know, the reason why you didn't know those
3: stories could exist is because... You know, on one hand, some people were working through their own problems still at the time, and B, because people just weren't, I don't know, it, there's a weird fetish market with it. They they fetishize toxicity.
1: Yeah, there there weren't as many of these types of BL stories being made available previously, but now, yeah. thanks to services like Vudegia, and thanks to just the more widespread accessibility of localized manga, you can find a lot more diversity in different types of series. And you can now find uh, more series in the vein of Nakamura out there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that we're in a great sp- – again, we've mentioned it before, but as queer – if you're a queer manga fan or you're just interested in these genres, like, you're in a great space if you have such a great diversity of titles, depending on what you're interested in, what you're looking for in the media you're, you want to read. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, like, worst-case scenario, you can always just reread Captor Sakura for the 90th time.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, not like uh, not
1: that. not free of a you know, not like I've it's done
3: so before. <laughs> messy, probably, Oh, yeah. So, so. No, that was another article I wrote. I think that was for Anime Herald, <laughs> <laughs> all about like the weird love, dodecahedrons, and, and <laughs> uh, <character> you <yeah>. know, <laughs> That's another fun topic. uh <laughs> Teachers' band. Yeah, they have oh, a bye. weird thing with. Uh, they have a weird thing with age gaps, clamp.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, another nice thing about Nakamura, the teacher, into in and a super girl too. So Just a that, cool dude. A, that also feels like something that should uh, be less of a rarity than it seems in
0: some of these series. But anyway. yeah, not not Nakamura obviously being a dumb teenager is you know at one point like oh no does Hirose like Otogiri and like that that stays like speculation. There's there's no. Uh, there's no hint that like, oh, Otagiri might have a thing for Hirosei yeah. too, like that. That stays just speculation, and that yeah. that's, that's not a thing teacher. that's gonna happen in this Otagiri's just like
1: yeah. cool teacher, yeah. A chill he, dude. he just looks out
0: for his yeah. students. Yeah, he yeah. just he just genuinely cares about his students because again, he's he he's had his own great teacher Onizuka. Kind of life where yeah, he has own, own Shonen
1: Junai Gumi uh, storyline, <laughs> the multiple volumes of that that we, we
3: aren't privy to. A yeah. You can just arc imagine his adventure coming here. <laughs> yeah, he had his teaching kids how to how to be doofuses on their own training arc, and it was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, also those teachers from that chapter kind of reminded me of how um the guidance counselors you mean or the teachers? Yeah, the guidance counselors. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it reminded me of uh, when I was in high school, actually, a friend of mine, uh, I mean, the principal at our school in particular was not super great. Nobody liked her. Part of the reason was because, like, you know, we had, like, a not a strict dress code or anything, but, like, we weren't allowed to, like, wear hats at school or whatever, and she was, like, annoyingly persistent about that. Like, she would always, like, just take hats off of people because, obviously, nobody listened to her or whatever, so I I mm-hmm. guess I kind of get it, but... And she would also like just kind of take earbuds out of people's ears, like unbeknownst to That's like so students. Noxious. And uh, one of my friends actually, there was a there was a point where like uh, she thought that my friend had earbuds in, and she just ended up pulling out her earring. And uh, that not, <sighs> that was that was That's not a awful. great time. Yeah, it's terrible. She was not great. Did that <laughs> college or it was a uh, high school. No, did but the did teacher the get reprimanded
1: the for that, or does that poor No, no, I
0: mean, she was the principal. She could just kind of do what she wanted, so, you know. Damn. But yeah. they, like, they ripped the skin, did, like, did it cause bleeding? Like, <sighs> I don't. Jeez. I don't think so, but I think it was close to that, yeah.
3: Oh, my God. Oh, God. That, yeah. That's, like,
0: a lawsuit. Like, you, those kids yeah, could see Yeah, no, seriously. Teacher. That could cause, like,
3: actual physical injury. Yeah. Oh, my God. <sighs> My anyway, yeah, school was not; no. it was fun. <laughs> on that uplifting note,
1: no, nothing, nothing of the that sort of cruelness happened to Nakamura. I think
3: we had a guy break his skull in in college in my high school. He fell from a from a a zip line. And still, oh God! He's oh he was okay. He, he he got better. He didn't got brain damage. His skull just cracked slightly. But like Oof. still, like that was um that was my uh, <laughs> that was um. That was the end of the zipline program at my high school, and they almost sued. Oh my God, And that was like an accident, let alone a deliberate, you know, injuring someone. That's a uh... anyway.
0: On that uplifting note, <laughs> I mean, the guys' counselors don't do anything that bad, but also like they were going to shave off Arrozay's hair. Yeah, I was going to say they get like all up in his personal space, like sniffing his sniffing his hair for dye, like pulling strands of his hair. Yeah. Really oh, they invasive. were
1: thinking that Odo was gonna like was was beating up Hirose <laughs> to discipline him, and they were like just gonna be oh wow uh, okay I guess this guy really does have a handle I'm gonna back up now but instead of like wait a minute this is abuse this te- if this if it was actually happening this teacher is uh, physically assaulting his student that's abuse that's actually something you should interfere with uh, well, not, not great at their job these the guys line, counselors. So it's counselors okay.
2: yeah
3: I mean yeah. it's not abuse if it's discipline. <laughs> Oh, God, (laughs) corporal punishment. That's what school's all about. There's some manga out there where I I wonder sometimes with the Japanese school system. I hope it's not like as intense as some manga depict, but there's some. I always think back to like Yu Yu Hakusho and stuff like that, where it's like Mm -hmm. the teachers are just actually evil.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, obviously, none of us live in Japan, and we don't know what the Japanese school system is like, but sometimes it is genuinely hard to tell, like, how exaggerated that stuff is in manga or not, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are shitty teachers everywhere, like, I yeah, would yeah, not for sure. put it past, like, still to this day, teachers are, there are some teachers who are getting away with corporal punishment in their classrooms.
3: Yeah. But, yeah. On the thing, though. Yeah, uplifting. No,
1: no, Nakamura thankfully uh, does not go there. Uh, It's it's nice. The characters do not suffer any harm in this world, so that's very nice. Okay, but yeah, yeah.
0: I I hope we're not making it sound like more dire than it actually is. But like, it's like a it's like a four page
3: gag scene essentially, (laughs) maybe seven. Yeah, Yeah, essentially. Yeah, like
1: even the the Mad Max bullies that tried him to be a uh, peroxide oh are scared off without incident. It What's
3: up with that? Like, there's like a bunch of Mad Max like.
1: Apparently, the editor, the the Sunji's editor, like said, "Hey, I designed these bullies to look like
0: Mad Max Goonies," and they were like, "Sure." <laughs> In the afterward, so it's like okay. <laughs> it's interesting because like we just covered Fist of the North Star recently. And I brought up this point specifically about how, like, you know, because we were talking about how influential Fist of the North Star is on tons and tons of manga, especially shown in manga. And I brought up how, like, oh, you know, one of Fist of the North Star's influences is kind of like how kind of ever since that series, you know, you just you see a lot of like uh, Mad Max style type of like goons or bullies or whatever. And this is one of them. I think I think this was one of the series I actually had in mind when I was making that point.
3: Mm. And like violence, Jack. Mm.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, so Violent Shack precedes mm. Fist Nostra,
3: right? I think so. Yeah, the Guy is just on his own planet yeah. with his works. <laughs> he's just guy's works, he's own out there.
0: thing, yeah. Like, I love his works, but he is, um, <laughs> he
3: is on another planet
0: sometimes with some of the ideas that oh, comes up oh, yeah. That's what makes his manga so great, though. Oh, well, I thought, oh. I thought it was time theft. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go for it. Nakamura's good and you should read it. Yeah, if you haven't already. Yeah. Which you should. Prior
1: recommendation from whole three of us. And, uh, oh, I guess one final straight top that we didn't work into the conversation that I just realized I wanted to bring up is that I also appreciate this as a BL series in which there are prominent female characters that are not, like, stigmatized or treated as obstacles, but just as a fun part of the recurring cast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think that's
3: also a nice thing. We never got to mention the paranormal girl, did we?
1: no no she was fun too i liked reiko i would love to see (laughs) and if she appears more in the the sequel because that was a fun chapter (laughs) i
3: just love it yeah i know a great great (laughs) one-off it's like if hardy's using ran the paranormal club trying to like get people to join (laughs) oh my (laughs) god exactly i would not
1: put that it's such a horror scheme to like in the way she was trying to trick nakamura into joining her club yeah just with like, pretending like he was gonna be joining an art club instead. yeah it's just like <laughs> i saw
3: that and i could tell you have some dark thoughts you can totally fit in right yeah <laughs> like how long would that no, scheme work until you walk into the classroom and realize oh yeah <laughs> there are no oh. easels in this room <laughs>
1: No, that's another thing that makes this feel, like, more like a modern series, because there are, like, prominent, fun female characters with great personalities that, like, are not seen as obstacles to the romance or anything, which I think is a good trend in modern BL and series, when you have the characters of opposite sex, like, prominent in them, but they're, and so, like, it's clear, like, this is a world in which characters obviously exist, but it's not like they're seen as obstacles to like the main romance or like in the main characters lives but they're just cool supporting characters and i appreciate it about this series i I like kawamura and i liked reiko they were funny characters now with that
0: being said actually i mean and i'm and maybe it's not the case but um with that being said i i am kind of wondering if she'll like have a role in a kawamura specifically if she'll have like a role in the sequel in terms of that because she still kind of has feelings for nakamura yeah. and i'm kind of I mean, wondering we'll what shinde going to do about that in particular how that's going to incorporate in the sequel if at all
1: yeah we'll see I, i'm curious if that does go somewhere but i get the fan translations <laughs> i think the friendship that they form in this volume is pretty sweet like when nakamura says that oh i'm your biggest fan because i love your drawing of Herose, and then he commissions more art for her.
3: Exactly, I love it. And
1: then later, later, like, he steps in to help her when she gets sick in the school play, because, like, he feels like he owes her for, like, her, her art, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's a nice friendship that he forms. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But... Yeah, I think that does it with, like, our general thoughts on Nakamura. Like, again, hearty recommendation Russ. but we do have a few comments uh, to go over from some folks on Twitter that we'll wrap up the show with. Uh First is one I got as a DM uh, from, again, mentioning a good friend of the show, Trevor Richardson from Crearing the Guillotine, uh, just about, like, the octopus motif as used in Nakamura. And we discussed it earlier in this podcast, and I think we... You touched upon him, like what it represents is, is both like Nakamura's alienation, distance from people, and as a reflection of his core identity. So is I mean, is there anything else like uh, we would want to
3: add to that or? No, I've already said my comments on that one. Uh, I think it's a great. I think it's a great perspective.
1: Absolutely.
0: I will say, I uh, I definitely didn't read into that at all. I mean, not 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 that I'm saying that like you guys are silly for that or anything. I just. I'm just glad you guys were able to shed some light on that because, like, I honestly didn't, like, think about that at all. So I thought that was interesting. Mm.
1: Yeah, and once again, I heartily recommend uh, Trevor's piece for AIPT Comics, uh, where they wrote in-depth on the use of the octopus motif as a metaphor for Coquina and And it's a really fantastic article. And, yeah, definitely one of the community shoutouts and links you'll be able to find uh, in the show notes. And, yeah, now we'll move on to some other Twitter comments questions. And look, l- there's this one comment we got here from Iowa's Joe Crawford, who comments very good, one and the volume, which I think we would we all agree with here. And uh, uh, the last question, though, we got is from our good friend, Allison, who asks, what started the memes with the series? I am curious. The internet. and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the internet started it. Uh,
0: I have no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, I was going to you...
0: say, yeah. I don't, I don't really know like what the origin for the meme was or like where it started, but I don't know. It, it's it's a good one though. I I can't yeah. say.
1: Well, where it started, and of course, tank know your meme for uh, compilers. I was just you know, about that, to look that the up. The first yeah. user was uh, Naren, who was uh, did a parody. The first Nakamura parody cover that like really got widespread attention where they drew Genshin Impact characters, Amber and Neen, on the cover. And mm. that got a lot of shares and likes. And then it was followed up the next day by
3: user... Of course it was that.
1: <laughs> and of course it was Genshin Impact. And of course uh, the follow-up would be a Persona 5 fan art, also done, same style, by user Barley Juice. And then from there, that is when the trend of people like redrawing characters on the cover of... In the form of the cover of Gopher and Camera really took off and continues to this day. So it's actually a relatively recent trend. It started in mid March, but you know it's been really nice to see. I've seen like dozens of these parodies by yeah, now. Same. They're always so fun. And one of these will definitely be uh, the cover, the cover art for this podcast. So yeah, like definitely, I definitely got to draw my own parody take on that. But yeah, so. Mm. Yeah, like this, uh, this is a very fun, fun little trend. And again, it's just cool to see that Nakamura continues to resonate with people and people are finding like in the cover a way to express like their favorite ships and relationships in media in the form of this cover, in the form of a character just and their anxiety and just their interest in their love interest. Like I think it's... a. It's really cool the way that the cover has resonated with so many people. The
3: series has resonated with so many people. Mm. All right. That sounds that sounds about right, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and that about does it for questions and comments from listeners. So thank you guys kindly. And we want to thank you, Anthony, for uh, joining us for this podcast. It was
3: a ton of fun. I was happy to be here. Uh, anytime you Anytime you want me, I can, we'll have another three-month delay before I can show up again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: let we'll you oh, know about five absolutely. months in advance, yes. <laughs>
3: that's sounds Yeah, good. No. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to have you back anytime. No, same. I would love to be back. It would be wonderful. But
1: until we have you on again, let folks know where they can find you on the internet, on social media, and all the awesome places you're right for.
3: You can find me on Twitter at A-G-R-A-M-E-G-L-I. A, yeah, at Twitter, Igamulia. I, I, I mispronounced my own name there. Wow, it's been way too long of talking. That's happened. <laughs> I've written for CBR, uh, The Mary Sue. Uh, more recently, Anime Herald and Anime Feminist. Hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll have a few more pieces on there. A, a bunch of other places too as well. Those are the primary ones where you can find my work. There's a whole list of places, of miscellaneous places. Uh, Gayly Dreadful. Also, I've had a couple things on. That's fun. It's a horror site though. so not really. So that might not be a wheelhouse, potentially. But still, um, <laughs> all different places all over the place. <laughs> nice, nice. And we've definitely
1: linked and shouted out your piece before. I really enjoy your writing and oh, thank analysis. You. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'm looking forward to your future articles. And we'll definitely, uh, if a new article comes out before this podcast, release, we'll definitely be linking it in the show notes I'm not well. surprised they
3: didn't actually talk about the anime. I've been having trouble writing about this whole time, actually. <laughs> Oh, it never once came up. Wanna... I never once mentioned Love Hina, so
1: Oh my gosh, Love Hina? Can't stand oh, that okay, I'm excited it for, for that. So much, but
3: oh my gosh. About... I- I'm excited.
1: I'm excited for your article on it. Yeah,
3: but well, once it's done, that's the thing. I'm sure my editor is <laughs> very happy waiting, like however long it's taken for to finish it. I'm sure we'll shout it out once mm. it's
0: out. Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. But thank you again, Annette. Looking forward to reading more of your work and having you on the show again in the future. Oh, please, let me know when. Yeah, but until then, I think it's time for us to head into a wrap-up of the show. And I want to head into the wrap-up because I am interested in going to my local Chinatown aquarium to see some cute octopi. I mean, speaking of things that wrap things up, I'd love to get wrapped up in those tentacles much in the same way Nakamura is imagining Rosé wrapped up in them.
3: That took a turn real fast there.
1: <laughs> no, let's get on to it. Uh okay, maybe that's a visual you don't want to see, so uh throwing some ink blasting at you, covering your eyes. Let's get out of here, just like that. Go for
0: it, love right. <laughs>
1: There we go.
0: It just squirts ink on you for being horny. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I learned a lot about you in the last five seconds of this
3: podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks once again to Anthony for coming on the show and talking Nakamura with us. We had a great conversation about the series and we would be so excited to have him back in the future and hopefully we will. But in the meantime, definitely we want to once again encourage you to check out all of Anthony's great work because he's super prolific writing for a bunch of great sites on a ton of great topics. And that leads us into our community shout-outs to highlight a few of Anthony's pieces in particular. Because, I mean, for starters, we should shout-out his piece on GoFred Fred wrote for Anime Feminist a few years ago, on how comfy it is as a throwback gay rom-com, why that's so meaningful and resonant for queer readers who would look to rom-coms of old, of like 80s variety, like Takahashi's stuff, or like even Kimigore, Orange Road, and like, you know, yearn for representation in stories of that vein. And how comforting is to have like a series like Nakamura that is like a throwback to those kind of stories, but is unabashedly and truly queer and about just a cute queer sincere romance between these two boys and i just appreciate that i really appreciate anthony's article for elucidating and exploring that and it's just a great piece but anthony also mentioned on a piece that he had had in the works for a long time with the anime herald and that has finally come out recently and that is a strangely sanitary role of police in cyberpunk anime and this basically takes a look at how law enforcement, how society is constructed in different cyberpunk series and focuses on how the strange trend of how law enforcement is usually focused on like in the right in these series, like they tend to focus on these types of authority figures. Law enforcement is like kind of, important instruments of keeping order against like criminal elements in these dystopias that rise from these dystopias. And that is an interesting trend that a lot of these sci-fi stories do tend to side with the idea of law enforcement. is like something that is keeping order in these worlds. But I think Anthony also goes into interesting detail about how different types of stories in this vein kind of explore this idea in and, and different ways police are represented in these stories and kind of comparing that to the reality of the policing and police like as it turns out to keep you warning of the today's world and how they are often you know obviously corrupted and not necessarily serving the best interests of the people but in these and why in these stories necessarily police are seen as a force of good and then or generally, but also some of the nuances even in that in certain stories, like in Ghosts in a Shell showing like that the organization is problematic. There are good actors, but they're also bad actors. So yeah, I think that Anthony takes a great look at like how police are portrayed in these different cyberpunk anime. And yeah, just examining like the different ways they're portrayed as good guys and to what extent. And kind of seeing like different nuances between these of his stories. I thought it was a really fascinating article. Really, really great piece. And as always, I continue to look forward to more of Anthony's articles. Like I know he has another piece for Harold in the work. So really looking forward to that and highly encourage y'all to check out his work. But for more conversation on Gopher and Nakamura, I want to recommend another piece I brought up during this article, friend of the show Trevor's article. Uh, for AIPT comics on the symbolism of the octopus and go for Nakamura, how it is a representation of Nakamura's queer identity and desires. And like, I think that uh, Trevor really explores the motif of the octopus well and how it relates to Nakamura's character and character arc in the story. And just in general, this idea of, you know, queer folks having, Perhaps interests that are seen as weird and people consider or uncomfortable with in just generality. But then, you know, the nice feeling of having other people like understand your interests and appreciate and accept you for them. So I really appreciated Trevor's uh, deep dive into the symbolism of octopuses in Nakamura. And it was a really great piece. And also, Trevor and Alex did a great feeling the Guillotine episode on Nakamura and today's other manga that's been released in English, Total Eclipse of the Eternal Heart, and of course, you know, gushing over Nakamura is like just such a charming, sweet story. But also contrasting it with Total Eclipse and how that's such a darker story, and it's you know, and like. kind of mixed uncomfortable feelings that it elicits because there are kind of cool elements or interesting elements to how like it is like this darker horror thriller story that is also queer but also it deals with a lot messier uncomfortable and there's a problematic subject matter in the relationships and how twisted they are and it's not necessarily the feel good story Nakamura is, but it's still an interesting one to talk about. It's interesting to contrast the two's works from the same author together, they're just so totally different. So it's a great piece exploring BOTUS in these works that have been released over here. And definitely, you know, having read both works I'm also so interested in just having more of their works come out and I know that the collective volume of The sequel of Nakamura is finally coming out of Japan, so hopefully we get that over here sometime soon as well. But my last shout out for this episode is the gayest episode ever episode on, of course, throwing back to, you know, very queer filling, you know, 80s cartoons. There's no more queer an 80s cartoon than He-Man and gaydest episode ever did a really fantastic episode exploring a great episode of He-Man that they had Henry Gilbert on from What a Cartoon and they looked at this great episode that is just so uh, unquestionably gay in terms of the villain he was like this giant pink rabbit who has this phallic (laughs) rocket ship he's filling with this life (laughs) uh, preserving or goo that he's going to shoot out over the planet or whatever huh. or he's playing to sell to people it's very funny it's a very weird show and in the history segment they do actually describe how filmation as a studio was actually a very queer friendly studio they were known as like the gay animation studio and they had a lot of gay huh. animators and talent. so it was a cool retrospective on them and like why there's so much queer wives in he-man and like they were aware of it and that's just what makes the show so fun but yeah, like it was a really fun conversation on this episode of He-Man. That was also that is such a trick to watch. It is so unquestionably gay. I love the the villain plundar. It's so funny. So fun. So camp. So wonderful.
0: I was gonna say there's there's no way that you can't not do that on purpose. Like that sounds amazing. I'm gonna have to check this out.
1: Yeah, it's it's a fun episode and a great podcast on it. And those are my shout-outs for this episode. Colton, you mentioned you had one.
0: Yeah, uh I, I have one shout-out that I wanna talk about uh, before we end the show here real quick. And uh I've been kind of holding off on this one until like I, you know, watched at least most of the videos or like caught up on them. So I don't remember how I found this, but like I just happened upon a uh a one piece review from a booktuber, I guess that's what you would call it. Murphy Nap- Napier. I'm sorry if I mispronounce her name so terribly, but um she's a really interesting YouTuber because she doesn't normally like she doesn't normally like talk about anime or manga at all. Uh in fact, I think One Piece is like the first manga she's ever read. She usually mostly like, you know, just talks about like literature and books in general and stuff. And uh, you know, I guess originally One of her commenters was really, really, really pushing her to get into One Piece, I guess. And Mm. so she basically read the first 12 volumes and uh, just kind of like offhandedly kind of talked about it a little bit in like a video where she kind of like talked about a bunch of books she was kind of reading at the moment. And then I guess from there, it kind of spun off into basically her doing a One Piece video now every Friday. (laughs) Currently at the time of this recording, actually just today before we started recording this, because at, at this point she is halfway through the series. She just finished the uh, the Paramount War arc and is like right about to get into the time skip. But, uh, you know, she herself admits that like when she got into One Piece, she wasn't really like reading it as deeply as she is now. So now she's actually like rereading everything from the beginning up until like Skypea or whatever because basically it was around like water 7 Ennius Lobby where she like really really got into the series and just today she uploaded her her review of the entire east blue saga and uh i i really enjoy specifically how like her videos just get like longer and longer the longer she the more she like gets into the series and like the more she has to say about it because i i think it's safe to assume like she's a pretty big fan at this point and i i just really love like, honestly, I, I look I look forward to One Piece Fridays now on her channel, because they're always very good videos, and it's just always fun to, like, see new people get into One Piece and, like, see how excited they get, you know, when reading certain portions for the first time. Mm. I really think her videos on Water 7, Ennius Lobby, and the Marineford War are probably, like, some of my favorite reviews, because I think that those are when, like, she gets the most, like, emotional and into it. Again, I, I just think her reviews are really interesting and fun to watch, and uh, I'm genuinely curious as to how she's going to feel about the time skip material.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm I'm really interested in how she's going to feel about Fishbend Island and onwards. So, basically if, if you're looking for some cool One Piece reviews from someone who's reading it through for the first time, if you're into blind read-throughs like I am, you know, please go check her out, or, and even maybe like check out some of her other videos. You know, I, I think I have a few in my queue, like I think at one point she talks a lot about, like, Harry Potter stuff and everything, and like, I think even uh, does a few videos on uh, Avatar The Last Airbender in particular. So, other videos that I'm, I've am i been meaning to check out that I'm, I should check out soon, because I, I am actually interested in, like, some of her other content besides her One Piece stuff, so there's that. So, just go check her out.
1: Yeah, he sounds like a really cool reviewer, and definitely will have to check out her videos.
0: Mm-hmm, but... I think that's gonna about do it for community shoutouts, and I think that's gonna about do it for the show? Indeed.
1: And so I think we'll just leave you off where to find us.
0: All right, and uh, you know, why don't you, why don't you go first, Lum? Where, where can the people find you?
1: You can find me at Lum on Twitter, as Lumryasha. a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Analyst Road, it's Lum that's where you can find me. You can know, also read my reviews on all I we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more on there. That's also where you can find the other podcasts I do, including Manga and Side Movies, the show where we talk about anime movies, and hashtag Lump Squad, the show I do with my good friend Andrew Acey, where we talk about the wonderful and wacky world of Ruben Kotakashi's Yurusuyatsura. We've had a lot of fun going through and keeping up with releases of the manga. Now we're tackling the movies, not that our own country and we're having a fun time doing that too, so look forward to more episodes of that on there, and we're also on every podcast platform you can think of like Spotify, Stitcher, and the like, and of course Apple Podcasts. Wherever Manga is, you can find Long Squad. It's also in the same feed, as well as its own feed. And you can follow Long Squad on Twitter at Lum underscore pod. And if you like the art I make for our podcasts, the illustrations and animations I do in general, you can find all that on my Instagram at SetArtWorks.
0: All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of other podcasts besides this one, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there is basically my personal blog where I have a page dedicated to whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, projects that I've done in the past, and even, even all my guest spots and stuff, including you know what we talked about at the top of the show with both uh, lemonized guest spots on uh, Full Metal Analyst. That's also uh, linked there as well. As well as like a bunch of other stuff that I've been on in the past. So basically, if you're interested in any other podcasts I do, again, go visit coltoncorner.wordpress.com. That's where you can find basically all my other stuff. But as for the podcast and everything else, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you're a patron of ours at patreoncom slash mavericks where at the $2 tier, uh, you'll basically have the chance to listen to early editions of our podcast, basically depending on our schedules and depending on when we have some of these episodes edited. If we happen to have them edited before they're meant to go up on our main feed, uh, that's basically where we'll put them first. Uh, admittedly, that tier in particular isn't the most like consistent when it comes to content, so if you want more consistent content every month, you want to subscribe to our $5 tier, we're at the end of every month, we post a new bonus podcast uh, exclusively to our Patreon. I want to say that the latest podcast we have up now at the time of this recording, at the time we're releasing this episode, is our sort of discussion on Dragon Ball Evolution that we made Sakaki sit through for the first time. We all got to like watch that together and talk about it <laughs> in the same room because we just happened to be visiting each other. Uh, that month or whatever, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun recording that. So uh, definitely go listen to that. Uh, basically, along with all of our other bonus podcasts, we have so much in terms of like brand spanking new bonus content that you basically won't get to listen to anywhere else. It's exclusive on our Patreon, and again, you can find all this and more at Patreon.com/slash Manga Mavericks. It's really the best way to support us and everything we do here. It helps us keeps the light on. Etc. Etc. And it's really the best way for you guys to support us. So any support you're able to throw our way through there, we really appreciate and can't thank you for enough. But as for everything else, you could follow us on Facebook.com/allcomic or on Twitter.com/allcomic_. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at mavericks or follow us on Tumblr at manga_mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash Manga Mavericks, where you'll get ex- basically different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com/slash Manga Mavericks. Subscribe to us there. Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Go for it, Nakamura? Do you have any uh, suggestions for what we should read? Do you just want to tell us what you're reading in general? You know, email us about Manga or the podcast or anything, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails. Again, send us those over at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts, it would really mean the world to us if you leave us a rating and a review. It really helps the visibility of our show, and we just appreciate your feedback in general because we take every piece of feedback we get uh, super seriously because we try to use that in order to help make the show that much better. But anyway, that's going to be about it for the show. This has been episode 170 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 171. Bye, guys. Sayonara!